Today's scripture reading is going to be from Galatians 3, 5 through 14. I'll give you a minute to open your Bibles there, or you can look at the screens for the passage as well. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then are those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of God. Well, good morning again, everyone. We are in the book of Habakkuk, but today in the book of Galatians. So we're keeping you on your toes. So if you've been with us the past couple weeks... You know that we have been tracking through this sermon series um, from why to worship. The book of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, from why to worship. And so today we're going to talk about the concept of faith. Faith as this bridge between the why and the worship. How How do we go from asking God all of the big why questions to worshiping God, which is where Habakkuk is going to land us in the end, how do we get there? How do we get from why to worship? And the answer is this bridge of faith. We have to have faith. But, of course, what is faith? And so the title of our sermon this morning is The Righteous Shall Live by Faith. And, of course, that comes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse Four. And this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, is, is literally everything. It's, uh, it's, it's Christianity at its core. It's the meaning of life. It's why we're here, and it's how we, it's how we live beyond this life. It's the answer to everything. The, the righteous will live by faith. This phrase is what makes Christianity, true Christianity, different from every other religion. In every other religion, it would say, the righteous shall live by their works, by doing something. But in gospel Christianity, the answer is no, the righteous will live by his faith, by what he believes, what he trusts in, what she trusts in. And so as Christians, we have to wrestle with this big idea of what is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews 11.6. But what is faith? There's this old um, German philosopher from the 19th century, Ludwig Feuerbach. Feuerbach was a big influence. You've probably never heard of him, but you've probably heard of like Karl Marx 
or Frederick Engels. He was, this guy was the influencer upon those two guys. He wrote a book called The Essence of Christianity, but he was an atheist. He was an atheist. And so basically his book, The Essence of Christianity, was a critique of Christianity. And what he said was that faith is basically wish fulfillment. He characterized Christian faith as simple wish fulfillment. We wish for something, and when it happens to us, we say, oh, God did that, right? So like the other day, I went to the mall, and I was hoping to get an up-close parking spot, and one opened up, and I zipped in, and, and I said, oh, praise God. Praise God for the close parking spot. And then I went into the mall, and I went to the Gap, and they had that sweater I wanted for 50% off, and I was like, thank you, Jesus, right? And because of my faith, I got a close spot, and I got a cheaper sweater, boom. Now, that's kind of silly, but in reality, a lot of us live our lives that way, don't we? We use God, the genie, God is the genie, right? Rub the lamp, God pops out. This is what I want. This is what I need. What do you want? Poof. What do you want? Poof. What do you want? Right? But then you read Habakkuk, and his view of faith is is nowhere near wish fulfillment, is it? Habakkuk's asking why, how long, and the answers God gives are not not the answers he wants to hear. And yet now he's got to have faith. It's, it's It's light years away from wish fulfillment, isn't it? And so this morning, we're going to look at the nature of faith, then we'll look at law versus faith, and then we'll look at the blessing of faith. So, so number one, the nature of faith. The nature of faith. Habakkuk is asking the questions. Why, God? How long, God? Again, he's getting answers that he doesn't love, and he definitely doesn't understand. God's answer is, you know, his question is, how long, how long are you going to let your people the Jewish people get away with injustice, and God says, okay, I'm doing something. You're not going to like it. You're not going to like this answer, but here's the answer. I'm going to bring in the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're going to conquer you guys, and it's going to be terrible. And Habakkuk doesn't like that answer. That is not the answer he was hoping for. He doesn't understand, but, he's, but in last week's sermon, Pastor Mark showed us he trusts God's character, doesn't he? So, so it's important for us as Christians, it's okay to ask the hard questions as long as you're trusting God's character along that journey. You can ask God why. You can have doubts. You can, you can say, how long, O oh Lord? But at the same time, you have to entrust yourself to the living God, just as Jesus did on the cross, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Both of those came out of his mouth on the cross. And so we're on that journey together, aren't we? We're waiting for God's answer. That's where Habakkuk goes in chapter 2 of Habakkuk. He's waiting for God's answer. And then God's answer comes in the form of Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And so Habakkuk 2.4 begins to help us understand what is faith. So before we jump over to Galatians, make sure you're ready with Galatians 3. But before we do that, just real quickly, what do we learn about faith from Habakkuk 2.4? So first of all, we see faith's opposite. We see faith's opposite. Behold, his soul is puffed up. 
It is not upright within him. So the opposite of faith is a puffed up soul or a crooked soul. Not upright means crooked or unstable. So pride, self-righteousness is the opposite of faith, isn't it? I can do it. I can figure it out. I have the answers. My performance, my achievement, my merit. This can, this can look like deep religion where you're, where you're, you're wholehearted into religion and I'm going to show God that I am right and good and faithful. I'm going to prove myself to God. Or it might look like just completely rejecting God. It can go either direction, can't it? I don't need God. Why do I need God to tell me what to do? What? Oh, God. Oh, that's so archaic. That's so old. That's so out of date. I don't really, that's not true. Oh, okay. And you move on with your life. And then we also see faith's object in the book of Habakkuk. Faith's object. Our object, the object of our faith is the most important thing about our faith. Not how much faith, but what is your faith in? What are you believing into? Right? A.W. Tozer said, faith is like your eye. By it you see everything, but your eye never sees itself. Your eye has never seen it, your eye, has it? Stop looking at your own faith. That's what we do as Christians. We say, I wish I had more faith. Or if you only have more faith, God will do all these things. Wish fulfillment, right? Prosperity gospel, word of faith movement. Believe more, get more. Now you've made your faith the object of your faith. The object of our faith is not our faith. Our, the object of our faith is God himself and his covenant promises. Do you trust in a, in a limitless God? Do you trust in a good God? Do you believe in a God that is all-powerful and all-good at the same time? Do you believe that? And that's what Habakkuk's got to struggle with in this, in this book, in this prophecy. Faith's response. In Habakkuk, we see faith's response Loyalty, loyal love, humility, patience, waiting. Habakkuk doesn't say, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. That's what we do. We, we say, all right, I'm going to solve all my own problems. But there's no joy in that, is there? That, that's actually just a recipe for our hearts being sunken, our hearts just shrinking within us as we try over and over to solve problems and fix people and change people and change each other and change my husband, change my wife, change my kids, change my boss, change my mother-in-law, change my father, change everybody. I'm going to change them all. I'm going to solve all the problems. And the more you try to solve problems, you just get into deeper problems. But faith says, God, you solve the problems. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to do that. I'm going to wait patiently for you to do that. And if, and if the situation I'm in gets fixed, glory to God. And if it doesn't get fixed, glory to God. I'm going to do good either way. First Peter, that was our whole sermon series on First Peter, right? Either way, I'm just going to do good. I'm just going to love people and do good. And if, and if life gets better, great. And if it doesn't get better now, it'll get better one day. Faith result. We see in Habakkuk 2.4, faith's result. Life and righteousness. Life and true righteousness. These are complex concepts in the Bible um, that, that we could talk about all day. Just this little sub-point we could talk about all day. Eternal life. The Bible teaches that the righteous get eternal life. The Old Testament teaches us that. 
Psalm, Psalm 1, who is planted by the stream? The one who is rooted in the righteous law of God. Everybody else is chaff that blows away. Psalm 15, who will dwell in your house, O Lord? Who will live with you forever? He who does what is right, verse 2. So, the righteous live forever. But the, but the Bible presents us with this massive problem with that, doesn't it? Are you righteous? Am I righteous? Am I constantly in a right relationship with God? Am I constantly doing right by other people? Should, should we play back the videotape from last week? Thursday night? Maybe worse, Friday night? <laughs> Should we play it back? What if we had a tape recorder attached to your brain and we could record every thought you had this week? Everything you've done. What if we could watch that tape? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? That would be the worst church service ever. But Habakkuk is telling us, God in Habakkuk is telling us, there's a different way to get life, and it's by faith. The life of the righteous by faith. So here's our lesson number one. From Habakkuk. You're not awesome, but you can trust that God is. That's, our, that's, that's what Habakkuk is teaching us. You're not awesome, but you can trust that God is. And listen, faith is found when we accept this reality. Faith lives in reality. Sometimes we think that faith takes us beyond reality. No, no, no. Faith has to be rooted in reality. And here's the reality. You need God. You are weak. You are desperate. So am I. Watch Pastor Mark's uh, devotional video from this past week. It was amazing. I hope you watched it. He talked all about weakness and 2 Corinthians and, and, and his own life being changed by understanding I, I, it's not about what I perform or what I achieve. It's about submitting to God in my weakness. That's the reality that we all need to live within. Number two. Now, let's go to Galatians. Galatians. Three times in the New Testament, Habakkuk 2.4 will be quoted. Hebrews 10, Romans 1, and the very first time, you know, chron if we're chronologically, the very first time it was quoted and, and built upon is Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. So we want to look at today, how did Paul, the apostle, use Habakkuk 2.4, and what do we learn from it, and what do we learn about faith from it? So, works. what, what he's doing is he's contrasting the works of the law versus hearing by faith. Galatians 3, verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's laying out, he's juxtaposing law, faith, law and faith as these two contrasting systems, these two contrasting ways to live your life, either by works of the law or hearing by faith. They are opposite systems, they both, but here's the tricky part, they both come from God. The law the law's not evil. The law, the law is not sinful. The law is actually good and amazing and right and perfect. And it's from the mouth of God. 
but it is a curse. And that's Paul's argument in Galatians. God gave the law to curse you, to curse you, to show you that you are doomed, not because of the law, but because of the sin that is inside each and every one of us. You see, what the law does, Romans 5.20 says, the law increases our sin. Have you ever seen a sign, like, um, you, you know, um, when I was a kid, there was this beautiful park up the road from us, and me and my friends in the neighborhood, we would go up to it, the, and they had this, this, like, creek, this river, and these big rocks, and we would climb on it all day. We'd go out all day, all Saturday, and there was this point, as you would travel up the river, there were these big orange signs that said, no trespassing, Right? And you know what that meant to us? Keep going. Right? Keep going. Because that means the cool stuff must be up ahead. Right? Have you ever found like an old building and it, you know, it's all boarded up and you know, no admittance, stay away. What do you do? You jump that fence. Right? You jump that fence. Why? Because the law stirs something inside of us, doesn't it? You can't tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. Right? Let's just be honest. Now, is that the law's fault? No, that's your fault. That's the sin inside of you. That's the sin's fault that's inside of us. So the law is curse. It is death. Look at Galatians 3, 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And, there, and there's our quotation for the righteous shall live by faith. He's putting them against each other. You can't, you can't be just or righteous. No one is declared righteous before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. He's, he's quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. The law brings death. Faith brings life. And so to live by the law or to live by the works of the law, is to live under the curse of the law. Look at verse 10. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. Verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy. And he's saying, look, if you choose to live by works of the law it will be a curse to you. It will be death to you because you have to obey everything in it. You have to obey everything in it. So this is the, this is the question for you legalists out there, you Pharisees. Those of you who say, I can do it. I can be good enough. You know what you've just done to the holiness and perfection of God? You've lo you have lowered that bar. You've made it in your own mind. You've made it something that you can... I can do it. I can reach it. I can attain it. That's, that's a form of... Re it looks like righteousness, but it's a form of rebellion, isn't it? It's a form of rebellion. It's you saying, I'm the one guy that can be good enough. I can be like God. Do you hear it? That's the original sin, isn't it? I can be like God. I can know good and evil. I can figure it out. And a lot of us are living this way in so many practical ways in our lives, aren't we? Verse 12, 
Galatians 3.12, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. See, if you, you, there, you can live by the law. If you do them all, if you obey all of the law, you will live by them. But who's done that? Who's done that? See, the, the, law, the law is tricky because when you, when you try to obey everything God says and you say, I can do it, I'm the one person who can do this, and then you're doing it and you're doing pretty good, and what do you start to do? You start to compare. You start to say, well, at least I'm better than her. Oh, at least I'm better than him. Right? And know what you've done? Now you've let pride sink in, haven't you? Which is like the deadliest sin. Self-righteousness, the deadliest sin. That was, that's where Habakkuk's brain was going. Wait, God, how can you use the really bad Chaldeans to punish the sort of bad Judeans? And God's saying, wait, why are you comparing? Stop comparing that self-righteousness. And that's deadly. That will destroy you. Or when you try to keep the law, you fail miserably. And then, and then you become apathetic or you just quit. Or you just you feel guilty all the time. Right? Either way, you're doomed. So when you live by the law, there is no freedom. There is no love. There's no purpose in your life. There's no true worship. There's no real honesty. Because you always have to be better. You always have to put on a front, wear a mask. You've forgotten grace. You're like Habakkuk too. You've got that hook in your mouth. The Chaldeans have, would put those hooks in the people's mouths and drag them away. And Paul's saying, your biggest problem isn't Babylonians, people. Your biggest problem isn't even the Romans. That Your biggest problem is that you're trying to keep the law and it holds you in bondage. It holds you in bondage. And that will send you to hell. We're all under this curse. We're all born that way. We're all born under the law. So lesson two, abandon your self-righteous law-keeping and law-imposing before it kills you. Abandon your self-righteous law-keeping and law-imposing before it kills you. You say, Brady, come on, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to keep the Old Testament law. I'm not doing that. Okay, okay. But have you created a thousand other little laws, little forms of law? Paul will talk about law as a principle. Law as a principle. Law as a dynamic for life. Have you done that? Body image. Identity. What is my identity? Um, your sexuality, laws about how to be the best mom, how to be the best dad, how to be the best friend, how to be the best at work. I have to be the best. The law of performancism. I have to do more, achieve more, get a better grade. Sibling rivalry. I have to do more than my brother. I got to be better than my brother, better than my sister. I got to be the better grandparent. I have to outgive them and outbuy birthday presents. I have to throw better parties than they do. Law. Religion. I have to have my daily quiet time, and if I miss a day, I just feel terrible and guilty. Law. Law. My husband needs to be my spiritual leader. My wife needs to not nag me so much. 
My kids need to obey everything I say without question. You're a law imposer. And then the society. Follow your heart. Be authentic. Be your true self. Achieve your dreams. What? What a burden. Are any of us over the 45 going to stand up and say, yes, I have followed my heart and achieved all my dreams? Like, nobody says that, you know, as you get older. You're just happy to be alive. <laughs> like, okay, I have a basic life and I'm happy. <laughs> Number three, the blessing of faith. The blessing of faith. Okay, how do we get out from under this? What's the solution? What's the solution to the law's curse over us, the death-bringing law? The solution is Christ became the curse for us. Back to faith. The object of your faith is the most important thing, remember? Not how much faith you have. You can have a lot of faith in a really bad thing, and it will kill you. Am I right? Yep. You can put all your faith in a parachute that's not packed correctly and jump out of a plane and say, I believe. Right? And all the dishes fly out the back like the cartoon, the old cartoon. You're in trouble because you put your faith in the wrong thing. Where is the object of your faith? Is it in Christ who became the curse for us? Verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He redeemed us. He bought us out of slavery. That's what the word means. He purchased us out. In Paul's day, we've said this many times, up to 50% of the people were slaves, weren't they? So they were very familiar with the concept of redemption. Of, of a slave being purchased and then set free, released. Here in Galatians, in the next chapter, he'll talk about how you could adopt your adult slave and, and turn them from slave into heir, into son. You could redeem them. Manumission, it's called. You could, you could give them their freedom. You could purchase their freedom or hand them their freedom. If you've ever seen Ben-Hur, the old Ben-Hur movie, Ben-Hur is, is given his... He goes from slave to son in that movie. It's a beautiful picture. That's what Christ has done for us. He has bought us out from the slavery, our slavery to sin and death. How? By bringing us out from under the law. The sting of death, this is 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, Paul says. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. Okay, so how do I avoid sin and death? I have to be out from under the curse of the law. How does that happen? Does God just stand up one day and say, okay, no more law. You wacky humans, you did your best. Good job. I'll grade on the curve. I'll grade on the curve. All you C-plusers, you're now A-plusers. Does God do that? No. He does not do that. Somebody had to fulfill the law. 
Verse 12, the one who does them shall live by them. Only one person in all of history has fulfilled that Leviticus passage. Only one person has done the law and lived by them. Guess who? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the God-man who came and he lived by the law. He became the curse. Maybe, maybe Paul means first in his incarnation. In his incarnation, when as soon as, soon as Jesus was born, he, he entered, he, you know, Galatians 4, he was born under the law. He was born into a cursed state. I mean, think about it. Just like you and me, the, the, the infinite, immortal, eternal God, as soon as he was born, started dying. Just like you did. You popped out dying. You were born into death. So was Jesus. He was born into, into the Adamic race, into the race of Adam, bearing the weight and the penalty of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin. And yet, he never sinned. He lived that righteous life. He fulfilled Leviticus. He, he's the one, only one that could say, the, the, those who live by the law, those who fulfill the law will live by it. They will find eternal life through the law. Only one person can stand before God on judgment day and say, I have kept every law. His name is Jesus Christ, and he did it. And this is why he can be a substitute for us in his dying. In his dying. Probably mostly what Paul means is, he became the curse for us in his death. In his death. How did Jesus die? It's not a trick question. He died on a cross, didn't he? This is important. This is important. We need to understand this. Jesus did not die a hero's death. Right? He didn't storm a beach on D-Day, die gloriously in battle, and everybody cheered him and put a plaque up in his honor. They didn't build a statue of him. None of that happened. Jesus died the death of a slave, the death of a criminal. He died literally a cursed death. If you in, in this time, if you died by crucifixion, you were literally erased from history. If your family would disown you and erase you from all of their annals of their family history, they would literally blot out your name. So that it's, it's as if you never existed. In the crucifixion process, you were treated literally like an animal, a subhuman. You were considered less than human if you were being crucified. Even the way you died... On, on the cross, it is, it is the most torturous, physically, I don't know that anything in, in hi human history has even come close to it, the act of crucifying someone. But beyond the physical torture, there's a psychological torture to crucifixion, whereby in order to stay alive on a cross, you, you die from asphyxiation on a cross. Did you know that? Because of the way you're hanging, you literally can't breathe. And in order to breathe, you'd have to pull yourself up from those nails and catch a breath. 
And it is so slow. Sometimes crucifixions would go on for days. It is so slow that it messes with your mind so much that eventually you have to choose to kill yourself. You have to choose, I no longer want to fight to live. That's a cursed death. Now, why did Jesus have to die that kind of way? Because it's what you deserve. It's what I deserve. You're the slave. You're the subhuman. You're the criminal. And until you, until you enter that reality, you will not have faith. You'll still think you can be good enough. You can bust yourself out of jail somehow. Until you accept the fact that it should be you helplessly stripped beaten, torn apart, nailed to a cross, until you accept that that should be you, Galatians 3.13, he became a curse for us. Let those two little words sink into your brain this morning. That should have been you. That's why he didn't die a hero's death, because you're not a hero. That's why he didn't die a glorious death, because you're not glorious. He died a subhuman slave criminal death because that's what you are, and that's what I am. And if we can embrace that, now we're ready to move forward. Why would he do this? We sang it. A fountain full of love for us, poured out for us. Verse 14, two more little words. So that, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Why did Jesus do it? So that. So that you might be blessed. So that you might have the spirit of life and joy and peace and love and gentleness and meekness and faithfulness and long-suffering, self-control. He did it for you because he loves you. Because he couldn't imagine a world without you. Once creating you, he couldn't imagine a world without you. He fixed his eyes on the joy that was set before him. You, me. What about you? What about you this morning? Have you placed your faith in this Christ? Not Christ the example, not Christ the guru. Not Christ the teacher. Christ the curse for you. Have you placed your faith in that Jesus? I invite you to do that today if you never have. And if you have, I invite you to reconsider it again. And so what are the blessings of faith? 
Blessing number one, imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. So that the blessing of Abraham might come to us. Well, what's the blessing of Abraham? Back in verse 6, 3, 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The blessing of Abraham, counted righteous, imputed righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. Okay, I better start trying to be righteous. No. Righteousness is given. Righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is received by faith. It is imputed. Imputed just means credited. It's written into your ledger. It's when, it's when you go up to the teacher and you got an you F- minus on your test and you look at your teacher. This never happens, by the way. And I've been a student and a teacher. And this is what I'm about to say has never happened. You walk up to that teacher with that F- minus and you say, please have mercy on me. And the teacher goes, okay, A+. Plus. None of you have had that experience, have you? <laughs> they say, oh, you can do some extra credit, right? You can do more, be better. God's not handing out extra credit, okay? He's looking at Jesus' grades. He's letting you cheat off Jesus. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what, my metaphor's crashing. I don't know what to do at this point. <laughs> He's giving you Jesus' grades. <laughs> How about that? That's probably better than saying cheat off Jesus. <laughs> Bless, I better move on. Blessing number two. The promised spirit. Verse 14. The blessing of Abraham and received the promised spirit by faith. Through faith we receive the Spirit of Christ. This is the indwelling life of Christ. Christ in you. Union with Christ. It is yours. Now you are declared righteous and now you can actually do Habakkuk 2.4. You are now actually the righteous one who can live by faith. Do you believe that? Wow. You are now able, lesson three, you are now able to live by faith in your union with Christ. It's, it's, it's simple. What's the lesson? Live by faith. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all I got for you this morning. Live by faith. Live by faith. How did Paul start this whole, this whole conversation? Back in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the, one, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I know Habakkuk 2.4 had to be in, rattling around in his brain when he said that. He's basically saying, I'm righteous because Christ is in me, and I live by faith because Christ is in me. This is now possible. And this is our daily battle, isn't it? To abandon the self-life, to abandon self-righteousness, to abandon works righteousness, and to just simply trust what Jesus has done. I want the Holy Spirit to change me, Brady. I want to be transformed by the Spirit. Great! So do I. But let me ask you, why? I'm going to ask you two important questions for every Christian sitting here who's saying, yes, praise God, I got the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to change me. Yep. But let me ask you, why do you want the Holy Spirit to change you? 
if your answer sounds something like, so I can feel better about myself, that's the wrong answer. So I can, so I can make sure God is happy with me. That's the wrong answer. Because secretly what that means is, so I can keep God off my back. God changed me so that you can stop bothering me all the time and making me feel guilty all the time. But if your answer is something like, I want the Holy Spirit to change me so that I can love better and serve better and glorify God and worship God, amen, amen. That comes by faith. That comes by faith. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at all that you do. Stop looking at all of your failures and look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Apply faith to the problem area of your life. What would that look like? What would it look like to apply faith, not works, but apply faith to the problem area of your life? Maybe the problem area in your life is you, you feel guilty all the time. Maybe it's a, a sinful addiction. Maybe it's just you're, you're very controlling all the time. You like to control things and control people. Apply faith to that area, not works. Ask yourself, what has God already done for me? What, who does God say that I am? How can I rest in the promises of God and allow that to, to, to draw my heart towards God and away from my control addiction, my porn addiction, my greed addiction, my anger addiction? How can I rest by faith in what Jesus has done and let that capture my heart? You see the difference? The other way is, okay, let me give you three steps to overcoming your anger. Let me give you 10 steps to not being so greedy. And by step three, you're, you're, you've blown it and you quit. Or you make it to step nine and you're like, yes, I'm killing it. I am the greatest Christian ever. And you just replaced your greed with pride. And you're closer to death. What about suffering? What about in our suffering? Because that's what Habakkuk is all about. You see, law says, when you live by law, you believe that your relationship with God is a payment system. When I do good, God pays me. When I do bad, God exacts payment from me. That is not the system you are living in, Christian. You are not in a payment system. Most of you think that you are, and you live like you are. So when things go wrong, when things went wrong for Job, his friend said, you must have done something bad. God is exacting payment from you because of all of your sins. And they couldn't comprehend that that's not, that's not grace. That's not gospel. That's not how God functions with us. And then Job says these words. The Lord gives... The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You see, that's gospel. That's grace. He didn't say the Lord pays and the Lord exacts payment. He says, no, 
as the Lord sees fit, because He is an all-powerful, all-good God, as the Lord sees fit, He will give to me and He will take away from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I trust Him. I trust Him. See, that's when you know that your heart has moved out of law and into gospel. When, when, everything, when everything bad is happening around you and you see it as, ah, I'm finally being paid back for it. God's finally found me. Like he's some mob boss hunting you down to break your thumbs. No. God is in heaven saying, I give, I take away, and every time I do that, it is for your good. Trust me. Trust me. Will you trust me? Let's pray. Father, we, we want to trust you. It's hard. We confess it is hard to trust you. God, so many of us think we're still living under the curse of the law. We admit that it is the default of our hearts to run back to self-righteousness, self-justification. When things, go, when things go bad, we immediately assume it's because you're paying us back for some sin instead of giving and taking away in order to root the heart sins out of our lives. God, would you continue to teach these, these truths of grace to us, these truths of faith to us? God, as, as we close and we sing this song together, help us to celebrate. Help us to, help us to celebrate the good news of what Jesus has done, his imputed righteousness credited to us, his life by the Spirit implanted in us. May we move forward as those who have been declared righteous, who now can live by faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.